Uh, Brad, yes. that's it for the show this week. Thanks for tuning in. But before we go, Brad's going to introduce the guest for this week. Uh, doing something different. We've got a pretty big name and we wanted to talk to him for an extended period of time. So we're going to split it into part one and part two. So you'll hear part one uh, this week and part two next week. Thanks to everyone who's tuned in again. Uh, and Brad, tell us who this guest is. Yeah, so the guest is uh, Sean Crichton. Um, we've mentioned him in the last couple of podcasts. So uh, I guess he's the Australian um, 3K steeplechase record holder at the moment. Um, he's also now the Australian over 50s 5K record holder. Um, but he probably, you could argue that he's the most versatile distance runner Australia has ever had. He's run 338 for 1500 all the way through to 210.20 for the marathon. So that's a that's an amazing spread. Like there's not many guys that have been able to run so well over every distance. Um, I guess another claim to fame was uh, back in 1996, he broke Ron Clark's um, long-standing 10K record. I think it had stood for 31 years. So that's that's pretty significant back in 1996. So won't give too much away, but um, yeah, he's obviously super talent, went to a couple of Olympics um, and loves a yarn. So yeah, look forward to getting getting him on. Do you know him pretty well, Brad? Um, yeah, yeah. I've... I never knew him when he was, like, running, um, I guess, elite. Um, but I guess over the last 10 years, I've got to know him pretty well. And um, him and his wife came to our wedding. So, yeah, I know him quite well. Mm. Big name to have at your wedding, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Real big name. Rightio, fellas. Thanks for tuning in again. What's coming up uh, this week? Brad, what do you got? What's happening? Uh, i got five by... 1200 meter hills tomorrow i've never done anything like that before yeah, so your, your coach is really mixing things up i'm feeling this time uh, around yeah so it's a, it's a different week so i've got that i've got two hours on wednesday um a couple of 5k reps friday and then uh a double sunday so i think sundays will work out around 42k with by the time i do two runs so big big week but just all strength mm. Julian, getting back on the rails? Yeah, I'm going to go to the track on Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, I, want to, I want to get used to this thing. Um, Saturday, <laughs> I'll do a longer tempo. And, yeah, it's just a pretty standard week for me. Uh, the sessions will be something like um, 2K reps on the track Tuesday. And then on, on Thursday, I'll probably do some 400s. Uh, a bit faster. Cool, cool. I don't know what I'm doing yet. After our uh, counselling session a couple of weeks ago, my coach just tells me the session the night before now, so I don't get too fixated and overthink it and things like that. So uh, I'll wait till we get a message tomorrow. He stitched me up the other day. I was trying to get a treadmill session done instead of those shorter reps, and I thought because it was raining, he might just give me let me go on the treadmill for half an hour at heart rate. But he said, uh, take your flippers out if it's that wet. So uh, he's, he's got a bit of humour going as well. So not sure what I'm doing. Counting down the end of the school year, Brad. We're nearly on holidays for six weeks. Yeah, I've got one more lesson to teach. And then, holidays uh, coming up, Julian. Uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm not into this. couple of teachings. Taking my money. <laughs> Catholic schools, mate. You're not contributing to Catholic schools. I think I am. Yeah, well, you are. We get a bit of government money. That was a yeah. lot. Yeah. Right, sorry, Brad, I cut you off. What are you doing? One more day of teaching. Yeah, I've got oh, one more class yet tomorrow. And then, um, yeah, they've got like a modified modified lessons for the rest of the week. And then, yeah, that's it. 
High school teacher, that was so easy. We've got to work after the 22nd of December. Ripped off. Anyway, let's do it. Thanks, boys. Thanks for your time again. Good luck training. And uh, we'll talk again next week. See you, Brady. See you, boys. All right, I'm here with our latest guests for Inside Running, Mr. Sean Crichton. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Croaks. It's always nice to share a chat and a glass of red wine. So yeah, it's a pleasure great, to be here. Great to celebrate your uh, newest Australian record. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. It's probably a bit of a silly Australian record, an old man Australian record, but it's uh, it's good fun. It's like anything. It's it's not it's there to nice to um, set a goal to go after. So it was um, even though it's not like setting a, an open Australian record, it was nice to see that goal sit in there and go after it and, and get it so yeah thanks well um we'll touch on that a little bit later on but I, I introduced you to the listeners as arguably australia's most versatile runner we've ever had with you know pbs in the 1500 of 338 all the way through to the marathon at, at, at 210 um but i've sort of been told lately that a lot of people you know the younger generations don't really know much about you so we might go back to yeah. how you got involved with running and, yeah. and I believe you weren't a standout as a junior. No that's right I got into running um, at well in fact it's, it's funny there's a, there's a few guys who I'm uh, who I did run with at high school who um, in social media these days so, so Paul Arthur for example posted a photo on, on a couple of photos on Facebook a couple of years ago I said, oh, yeah, Paulie, I'm in that photo. Right, um, you can see me right in the blob in the, in, in the background. He said, I had no idea you were in those races, which you wouldn't have because I was too far back. You sort of, um, you only remember the guys you, you're head-to-head with. Yeah. But I started, I went around to play football with one of my mates when I was 10 years old and he was off to Little Athletics. I said, oh, I'm not doing anything. I may as well come down. So so I started doing Little Athletics when I was 10. Um, and I didn't stop running after that, but the I guess the big difference was I was um, I was living in Glen Innes at the time. I was Glen Innes age Northern New South Wales age one to ten, and then Armidale Northern New South Wales from age eleven to to nineteen. So we were five hundred k's to the nearest track. So for summer we'd go to the beach for six weeks. The idea of going and doing track races over summer was just not something I did. So um, and I played a lot of sports. I was in the as you know, I like my rugby league. I was in the I was in the regional rugby league team. I was one of Armadale's best squash players. Um, you know, even though we've got the cricket on, <laughs> I was a hopeless cricketer, but used to enjoy it. Um, so I played I played all sports, but I guess I kept coming back to running and, and I kept doing it. But I didn't ever really start training properly, and probably until I was last year at high school, and then I started to ramp it up quite a bit. Um, but I'd make the Northwest New South Wales cross country team each year, go down the state championships. Um, people are often amazed to know the, how far back I was. I came 54th in my, oh, I think it was 52nd, um, 54th, 52nd in year seven, then still in the 50s in year eight, and then 27th in year nine, and 22nd in year 10, um, 13th in year 11, and then finally in year 12, I came fifth and made the New South Wales team, which is what I'd always wanted to do was make this the New South Wales team. Um, and then that, I thought that'd probably be about the highlight of my career. Mm. And when I, in fact, I came fifth in the New South Wales and then I came fourth in the national schools. So that was 
Um, that was a massive step up. Um, big turning point for me though, I stayed in Armidale when I first school, studied accounting at sea and at night and was working as an accountant during the day and having worked with me croaks, you know I'm not good with numbers so that was a foolish, <laughs> a foolish decision but I realised that wasn't for me so I came down for the World Cross Country Trials in January of 1986 for the junior team and I decided if I made the team I would move to Canberra and get serious with my running. Uh, if I didn't, my mate and who I was doing accountancy with and I would take off around Australia for a year. Yeah. I came 10th and they took the first six and um, in fact Tim Redwin who came 9th just posted on Facebook a, a photo of the, the top 10 banner of the, of the finish which I once had and uh, it was good to see that photo again. But that Australian team came 4th in the World Junior Cross Country that year. Mm-hmm. So um, some very, very good junior athletes, Tony Ford and Jason Agosta and some, some other very Dean Paul and very good juniors. None of them went on with it, and mm. it's 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 a fascinating stat that I was out of that top ten. I was the only one who made an Australian senior cross country team, and I made nine of them, and probably could, could have made more. Um, so then I got going around Australia. So I took off around Australia for the year, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. About halfway around uh, going around Australia, I thought, okay, I want to do phys ed, uh, non teaching phys ed. Um, a guy from uh, Peter Rosignon, who'd been helping me um, with my coaching in, in Armidale, he'd moved to, it was just uh, good old-fashioned good luck, he'd moved to Ballarat as a, um, as a lecturer in exercise physiology at um, Ballarat Uni, and he said, oh, come down to Ballarat, and uh, because I'd had a year out as accountancy and a year travelling, I was deemed, I was deemed to, at the ripe old age of 19, to be a mature age student, so I didn't get enough, I, I was, even though I wasn't deadly serious about my running, my uh, HSC comprised of sitting in my room every night reading running magazines. Right. So, so, um, so I didn't get great marks at school, but I, um, I managed to get into phys ed at um, Ballarat. Uh, did my interview, borrowed Pete Rosignon suit on the uh, way back through through Ballarat on my way back from going around Australia. Got accepted into uh, Ballarat Uni, so um, rolled up in in February '87 as a um, 19 year old um, to, to do phys ed and that was that was the absolute turning point for me for, for running that was that changed everything and who was coaching you um, I guess up until that point and then when you first moved to Ballarat yeah so I didn't have a coach until uh, after I left school um, in 1985 so I finished school in 84 I went to um, the big local fun run was the Tamworth 10 and this is when I was working as a trainee accountant. I went down to the Tamworth 10 expecting to win it in about 33 minutes in, uh, in 1985, so when I was 18. And I went head-to-head with Rocket Rod Higgins, who's, who was from Corindai, just near Tamworth, who came, went on to be a 13-28 and 28-10 guy in his own right. Rocket blew me out of the water, and I came fifth in 35 minutes. So I was so despondent. I went back and uh, pre-entered it by a decade, of course, so I went and got the old... Um, New South Wales Athletics Almanac out, looked at um, who the coaches were and saw Pete LaRosignon, who I know, knew and respected, who was in our club, and asked him to coach me. So he he started coaching me when I was 18. Then when I was 19, I went off around Australia, so I d- didn't really run that much. And then so Pete then, when I moved to Ballarat, uh, was my coach. Yeah. yeah. And um, I guess Julian, who's a host on, on, on Inside Running, yeah. he lives in Ballarat at the moment. So was there the strong running culture back then that there, is, there has been um, now? I'd say more so. The, when I got to Ballarat, to make the 
A-grade Sandown team was a real achievement. But the thing that struck me was, so I moved to Ballarat and my PB for 5K was 1511. My first week at university, I thought I was in a bit of, in a bit of trouble because um, I got called out of a lecture in week one. I thought, God, bloody hell, I don't even know anyone at Ballarat. How, how am I getting called out of a lecture? I had not playing up. And it was someone from one of the athletics clubs. Oh, we heard you moved to town. Interesting. Could get you to meet the boys. Within my first 10 days in Ballarat, I had all four clubs say, we'd love to have you join our club. Yeah, okay. And, I mean, that's... Yeah. You, don't, you don't move... Any, it probably doesn't happen anymore. No. And, and it was really strong. Yeah, so I ended up joining Ballarat YCW, which, which was Mona's club, um, and we had a really, really strong club. And so it, it was genuinely, uh, I mean, the Ballarat Combined Club now, they, it's sacrilegious. It's only 10 years ago we were winning Sandown outright, let alone the four clubs combined to, for a Ballarat Combined. But um, in that time, we, in my three years in Ballarat, we won Sandown twice and broke the the long-standing course record, which was Ron Clark and Trevor Vincent and Clo mm. and those guys. Um, so our, our Sandown team of six in 87 was Mona, myself, Hector Beggio, who was a Filipino Olympic steeplechaser, who'd run 8.30, Wayne Dyer, who was Australian steeplechase champion around the time, was an 8.35 guy, uh, John Walsh, sub-14, 5K runner, and Dennis Boyle, who was... A, Maybe fourteen oh two, so our slowest goal was fourteen oh two. Yeah, and we, just we so had, much depth. We <laughs> had we had fourteen twenty five k runners who couldn't make yeah. who were in our B grade team. I mean, these days you'd stroll into it. So, but so I guess my point is there was so many guys to train with. Yeah, and that was just our club. Yeah, at, at Wendaree you had Merv and Mal Johnston. Merv, um, Merv was a two fifteen runner um, in the eighties. No one mm. probably would have heard of Merv, fantastic runner. Yeah. Um, in, and you know, then you had um, uh, then you had Ballarat Harriers and, and Eureka, who who still had plenty of good sort of fifteen minute five k guys. Yeah. It was and and you'd go to the just the, you didn't need to go to Melbourne to race. There was always you wanted to race any any weekend in Ballarat cross yeah. cross country or summer. It was it was great. And so I know that your long term coach was Pat Flohesse. Yeah. When so how long were you in Ballarat for, and and then how did you come across Chloe? Yeah, so I was in Ballarat uh, three years, eighty seven, eighty eight, and eighty nine. Um, I made the um, I made the world student cross country team in in eighty eight, and then in eighty nine I got injured and um, got symphysis pubis or whatever it's called on on the hip, and it meant that. It was a blessing in disguise. It meant I couldn't run fast because uh, knee flexion, hip flexion, whatever, um, is what aggravated it. But I could run slow until the cows came up. So all of a sudden at age 21, I started doing 100 miles a week. Um, just long, slow running. Mm. And when it finally came good, and added, I added some, some speed work to it, I just improved an absolute rate of knots because I had this phenomenal base. So my um, and the what what actually helped me and it's it's, it's timely with with very reasonable Commonwealth Games selection criteria now. I didn't really think I was a chance to make the Commonwealth Games team for for nineteen ninety. My my steeplechase PB was nine oh four, and I thought that was going to be the event I'd, I'd have the best chance at. The co uh, Tony Benson was the national coach at Athletics Australia at the time, and he was from Ballarat. And I still remember, I'm not sure if Tony told me or if I've heard of the grapevine or saw it, 
again, pre-internet, so you didn't just look it up. But the word came out that the Commonwealth Games qualifying time for the steeple was 8.42. I was like, well, I know I've only run 9.04, but I thought the Commonwealth Games qualifier would be 8.30, mm. or 8.32, which I thought was unattainable. 8.42, I thought, I reckon I can run that. It's, and it's a massive PB, so it forced, it really focused me, and I started, you know, gave up drinking so much beer and, you know, and stripped their weight down and really focused for a few months and, and got really fit. So my, my first steeplechase of, of the year, which was my first steeplechase in, in 18 months, uh, I rolled up and I thought, I'm just going to run 8.42 pace as long as I can, yep. and I ran 8.39. And so you put that down to that just base that you had laid? That base, but then top the the base, and then topping it up with some good specific work, and and it and having a a carrot which was achievable, yeah. which then just gave gave me something to focus on. All all of that, and being in a good training environment, yeah. all of those factors just combined to um, to then think, okay, I'm gonna if I don't if I don't make this time, it's not going to be through mm. not having a crack at it. So and so then. So going back to the when Chloe started to coach me, so the the and put in context the fastest steeplechase uh, steeplechase time in the previous four or five years by an Australian was eight forty five, so I'd just run quite a bit faster than anyone had run for five or six years in Australia. So the next day, um, Pat Clohesy called me and said, "Oh, great run!" and uh, said, "I don't know what your plans are, but you got any interest in coming up to Canberra to the AIS." Um, and I absolutely loved living in Ballarat, absolutely loved training in Ballarat and, and thought the world of the guys and, and, and the club and I stayed running for the club for several years. Mm. Um, and, um, but I was, that was November of 89, I had three weeks left of my degree and I was, I hadn't actually decided what I was going to do when I finished my degree so he didn't have to ask me twice so yeah. I moved, uh, uh, Spent the next few weeks finishing up my degree, packed up and moved up to Canberra. Yeah. Just on a slight tangent, because Julian constantly whinges about the weather in Ballarat. And you've lived in both <laughs> Ballarat and Canberra. Where's worse? Oh, Ballarat's far, uh, far worse than oh, Canberra. Don't, don't ask say that. <laughs> the, uh, the, the Ballarat's good running weather. Uh, but Cam, Cam, people poo-poo Canberra's weather. I love Canberra's weather. It's four seasons. The difference between a Ballarat... Winter's Day and a Canberra's Winter's Day, Canberra will be significantly colder, mm. but it'll be won't be drizzly other than today. It won't be drizzly rain and windy. Ballarat will be won't be as cold, but it'll feel colder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now I guess we'll just touch on how your week as when you're in your prime, basically yeah. how a, a week looked for you. It's uh, a good question, and the answer. And I'm a lawyer these days, and the classic lawyer answer is it all depends. Mm. So uh, I could I could give you my structure, and then it depended on what I was training for. So it was always Monday, which is which is very much the the Pat Clough and the Chris Ward law, and I guess the Australian system. Monday and Friday were always easy. And so second run of the day was always eight or nine k, yeah. um, done at four and a half to five minute k's, pretty slow. Yeah. Um, Monday and Friday were always um, you know, 16k, pretty gentle. Wednesday was, if I was training for 1500, 3k, it was 90 minutes. If I was training for 10k, it'd be an hour 45. If I was training for a marathon, it'd be two hours. Uh, Sunday, if I was training 
uh, 15 steeple, I'd still do 2 to 2.15. Um, if I was training for marathon, uh, 10k, it'd be 2.5. If I was training for a marathon, 2.30 to 2.45 with, yeah. the, with the occasional three-hour run. Uh, and then always Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday sessions. Uh, and that varied, what those sessions were varied on what event I was doing and what time of year it was. Because if I was doing track, I'd be doing the Australian and the um, European track season. So it wasn't the the strict periodisation, but it, it, it really varied. There was a lot of tempo runs and hill surges and things like that in the build-up. Yep. Uh, and then getting on the track getting on the track really only a few weeks before um, I'd go to Europe and then um, and then do track, se- track sessions and races throughout the season. Mm. Interestingly, though, I would, I would often run my best early in the season when I got there. And so the, the not doing a lot of track work worked well for me. Yeah. You know, I think that was probably because I had reasonable natural speed, so my weakness was my, my endurance or that real just above threshold type work, so doing a lot of that helped yeah. helped uh, work on that weakness. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I never got to train with you when you're you know, at your peak, but yeah. I've heard numerous stories where you obviously ran your easy days like super easy, and I, I know that you, you're still quite renowned for taking the easy days really easy, um, yeah. but even in sessions, there was guys that, and obviously Canberra and, and I guess Ballarat as well, had a lot of depth, and obviously with the AIS program, but... Yeah. There's times where, probably most times, you're often towed up in training sessions, but then those guys that were beating you in training um, wouldn't come close to you in races. And yeah. it takes a lot of discipline, I think, to let you know the ego out of it and, and obviously train within yourself. And like, how did you learn that? Was that through your coach? Was it through training with Africans as your career developed? Or um, it, it's it's a very good question, and and I think some of the um, some of the young guys around probably, if if they ever listen to me, they probably get tired of me saying you need to. There's days, there's times to train hard and there's times to recover. If I go right the way back, doing doing human movement at um, at Ballarat was was I mean part of that was just I, I had a real I was I was like a lot of young runners just mm. absolutely full into it full on into it and I wanted to learn as much as I could about running. Yeah. Not so much about developing a career. I wanted I wanted to learn about running, and one of the things which really stood out to me, and I always remembered in in doing coaching theory and methodology. And there was a guy Tudor Bomper who did a, a book on periodisation, and uh, and it was almost training theory one hundred and one, and and it seems simple, but a lot of people don't get it, and that is in order to improve. And that's what we're, of course, trying to do. You need to stress your body. Most people do that well. Then you need to recover so that when you stress your body again and you stress it a bit more, your body super compensates. Now, that all, that's, that's all very simple. But if, if you're missing the recovery element, you're not getting the super compensation. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, 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 so following that through, the purpose of your recovery runs isn't to get fitter. Mm. So the difference between running 350 or 450 per K, to me, and I might be wrong, it, it's, you're actually better off probably running 450 than you are. I know you don't like running 450 crash, it's too slow for you. But <laughs> three, it's, if, 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 if you can run 350 and be recovered, good yeah. on you. I couldn't. 
if I ran 350, I'd be tired mm. the next day. I needed to run slower, so so I did. And also, I think one of the, Pat Clove drummed into me, you know, no super sessions, but I, I was really lucky in my career that some of the people I trained with um, were the absolute, absolute best in the world. And I saw what they did, and it actually reflected exactly mm. my philosophy, so I didn't need to change it. When I moved to Ballarat in 87, Mona came fourth in the world champs that year. Yeah. He came fifth in the Olympics in 88. You ask anyone who ever trained with Mona. Back back in the 80s, he, he was he was training with guys who were, he's, he's come fourth and fifth in the world, he was training with 14-minute 5K runners. Yeah. He was, you know, and he's long, he, we'd have a club run on Friday nights around the lake. Yeah. It was slow. Yeah. Um, you know, the Sunday long run, there was plenty of three-hour marathoners and two-hour 40 marathon runners in our group. We weren't, it wasn't a pack of two 10 marathon runners. And it was just week in, week out. Then I moved to Canberra and um, Deke was still, Deke still won Rotterdam in 91 and I was doing a lot of the training with him. There was no super training. It was consistent training every year. Then in, in, um, in 91, I, sh- I shared a house from 91 to 94 with Simon Doyle. And Doyle was in... In 1991, Dawley ran 3.31 for 1,500 metres, which was only Norton Morsley ran quicker than Dawley between 90 and, and, and 94, that, that mm. half decade. Same thing. We used to go, we used to just jog easy. Yeah. The sessions were quick, but they, and they were specific, but they weren't, you wouldn't leave the session thinking that you're absolutely smashed. Then I, then I shared a house one summer with Patrick Sang, who's now... Most Kip famous for Kip, Kip Chogi's coach. Kip yeah. coach. Pat, so Patrick and I trained the whole summer together. Patrick came second at the World Champs, that, uh, um, in, and I came ninth at the World Champs the year before in the steeple. Um, but Patrick's recovery runs, I was famous for training slow. I came back and I said to the boys, you got no idea. Yeah. I was almost falling over myself that we're so slow. And, but, he'd still, but he'd go long yeah. on Sunday, and then we'd go to the track, and a couple of days I'd do the session with Patrick. It was about the only time I couldn't finish a session. It was too quick for me. Mm. Um, and Patrick wasn't blessed with phenomenal leg speed, but it was it was quick. Yeah. You know, we'd go down to the track and do you'd do K reps in two thirty five. But if you'd have backed it up with twenty K at three fifties the next day rather than twenty Ks at four fifties, mm. he would have been too tired. Yeah. So it was 94, then 95, I trained with Frank O'Mara in, in, uh, in Limerick, and Frank was two twice world indoor champion, and we did the same thing. We did some great track sessions, but geez, we did some slow recovery runs. Yeah. It just goes to show, though, like the influences that the people around you have on you. Yeah. And I, I think, obviously, I, I know I run too fast on my easy days, even though it doesn't feel like I'm yeah. doing a session. Yeah. Um, but I guess my introduction to running was using the school treadmill and yeah. pump, pumping it up to 16k an hour for 20 minutes every day. So that yeah. was my introduction to running. So that's yeah. 345s every day. Yeah. Um, whereas if I was introduced to running and I was training with you, yeah. then I, my training might, might be completely different. But yeah. you have inspired me. Maybe tomorrow I'll have, one, <laughs> have a run slower than 430. But actually, I did have two runs yesterday, 425 and 420. So that's pretty, pretty good for me. That is good. So. Well, I've just started coaching Emily Brickcheck in the last few months, and as recently as tonight, as we're warming down from a training session, she said, "Oh, I'm feeling so good on Tuesday these Tuesdays these days because I'm not tired after the Sunday long run." Yeah. Because I've 
encouraged to, to run with me on Sundays, so she goes a bit slower. Yeah, I know Nipa, her partner, was <laughs> complaining that she would often drop him on, uh, on yeah. training runs. So, um, I guess with your versatility, did you have a favourite event out of everything? Like, you know, yeah. you've achieved a lot and you've run well over all those distances. A favourite? I love the steeplechase. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to trying to talk Jordan Guzman into doing it now. He can run yeah. a good 3K and he can hurdle. Uh, you know, the, the 1500 and the 5K are pretty well oversubscribed for Com Games. The 1500, mm. the steeples sit in there. It's, an, it's, it's easy pickings. It's a, people think it's the easy option. It's not the easy yeah. option. It's an Olympic event. They've got the, uh, the gold medal's got just as much gold in it as, uh, yeah. <laughs> as the other events. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a terrific event because I think 3K was about my best distance. Yeah. Um, and even though I couldn't hurdle, I, I, I could get over the barriers, mm-hmm. and it was all about. It's different because it's it's a it's a bit like cross country on the track. I was it's a bit funny because I was best at I was a rhythm runner, but I didn't lose my rhythm in the steeplechase. Yeah, and, and I, I love the steeplechase. Uh, love the yeah, I enjoyed them all. The um, I, I, if if I had a bit more speed, I would have loved to be a mm-hmm. fifteen hundred meter runner, but I wasn't quite. I mean, I was good at fifteen hundred, but I wasn't good enough. Yeah. Um, loved ten k, five k. I reckon is the hardest event on the track. People talk about the eight hundred being the hardest mm. event on the track. To run a five k properly, you've got to be redlining from from k one, yeah. and you get to five laps to go. And I hadn't done a five k for seventeen years until Saturday night, and I was like, God, I don't get near. With that five laps to go, it doesn't get any easier. Five no. k is brutally tough, and I found it hard to absolutely nail it because you'd you got to go if if you leave yourself too much to do, you can't make it up. But you've got to go that you can't you got to yeah. go hard, but not too hard. Ten you, ten you had a bit more margin for, for error. Marathon, and I felt I nailed some really good tens. I was, mm-hmm. I, was satisf- I was satisfied with what I achieved at Steeple even though I would have loved to do a few more years at it, satisfied what I did at 10, felt I could have done more at five, and very frustrated at the marathon. I felt I had a good minute in me in the marathon. Yeah. But that's. But against that, it's to, to pop a 2.10, I was very satisfied, but I felt that off the training I'd been, the training I'd done and my 10K speed, I should have run quicker mm-hmm. at the marathon. I guess, anyway, I guess that's the marathon, though, isn't that it? That is the marathon. It is a cruel event, and you, cruel you, can't, event. you can't back up two weeks later. And, exactly. Um, there's just so many variables that go into it. Mm. So um, we might touch on, actually, we'll, we'll touch on the marathon soon as well. Yeah. Just going back to that, you know, you would get beaten by your training partners and, and basically training within yourself, even in, even yeah. in sessions, not, you know, not giving up 100%. Yeah. Um, like, I follow you on Strava, and... Even in the lead up to your recent three k, where you ran just over nine minutes and yeah. you're, you're fifteen thirty four, I think it's fair to say that other than maybe a couple of two hundreds before that three k, you wouldn't have run a kilometre at three at three. That's funny. But, but, funny but, say that. <laughs> but, but you can come out and race at that. And I, like, I know I'm guilty of if I want to run fifteen minutes for five k, yeah. like I would be definitely running stuff at sub three minutes like yeah. j- just more for a confidence thing but you prove that you don't need to do that to race at that pace yeah it's funny you should say that i was just saying to one of my mates who's a fellow lawyer and so thinks very logically i said what do you reckon my quickest k in the last decade is other than downhill so i think i've done a 255 down the gravel bluestone track at 
coming down from the pines and oh, yeah. the hacker. Yeah. But on the flat, quickest. Okay, the answer's three oh four. Um, and I said, and I expected to run low nine minutes. Mm. He said, "How could you possibly expect to?" And I said, well, "I know that come because I reserve a special place for a race that I don't ever hurt myself that badly in mm. training. I'll, but I'll hurt myself that badly in a, that much in a race. I know I can go faster." What I can do in training, I can go faster than that and keep going. Yeah. Um, and and I proved that, that that wasn't just 20 years ago. I can still do it. Yeah. And, like, you, you're obviously in the minority because most runners out there would leave the track on a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. Yeah. Pretty much having given 100%. Yeah. Um, and I, I look at, um, like, Pat Tiernan. Yeah. I, I, you know, I was following him for a while with his training. And it probably seemed out of... Like, Similar. Yeah, like if you look yeah. at all the modern day runners, he's yeah. probably the guy that I see as being training the way that you train, and I yeah. guess Chloe was an influence on him as well. Yeah, so. no, that's right. And I've, I've said to a few people who have asked that sort of question, how could you possibly have such a differential between mm-hmm. your training and, and your racing? And the best way I can describe it, I know cars these days have got six gears, but let's assume they have five. Yeah. Um, I will go to fourth gear in training yeah. and I'll rev the heck out of it and I'll finish thinking, geez, that was hard. Mm. But I don't put it in the fifth gear. Yeah. Fifth gear is reserved for the race and when it's when it's races on, you go to fifth gear and you give it absolutely everything. Yeah. And and you, I used to laugh when guys could warm down fast after a race. It's like, be so knackered from giving it absolutely everything, yeah. how, how could you warm down? So do you reckon if you're training at fourth gear, you have to race regularly to get that then, um, no. like, you know? You, so you can just train at fourth gear for a long time and then I come think out so. and race well? I think so. so I, I think the trouble is if, if you're going in fifth gear and training, it's all right to do it occasionally. If you're doing it regularly, you've got you've got nothing there when you when the question's asked on race day. Yeah. Because you, your mind's thinking, oh, I've, I've, I, I actually think, I actually think there's some adrenaline in it. Yeah. I don't recruit adrenaline on a, in a training run. Yeah. In a race, I pull adrenaline. It's, it's funny you say that, because on, on the podcast that we've just recorded, um, I mentioned to Brady, so Brady ran 14.51 at the Vic 5K oh. a couple of weeks ago, and then came out this week and ran... 10 by one minute off a 30 second float yeah. and basically ran 15 minutes for 5k yeah. and i said to him like you're in spikes and you're in 14 51 <laughs> and you're doing this in training i said i couldn't ne- like i train i guess my easy runs are fast but yeah. i could never get myself up for a session like that and yeah. that's just but i guess there's some guys um that can somehow get the adrenaline maybe going in training but yeah um yeah i certainly couldn't do it i can't do um, it yeah so I guess, all right, with, with your elite stuff, like you've achieved a lot and a lot of people don't actually realise that, you know, you've held Australian records for the, the 3K, you, you, the current, you know, record holder for the steeplechase, you held the Australian 10K record and you broke Ron Clark's long-standing record. I think it was 31 years? 31 years and, yeah, and the steeple which I broke was Kerry O'Brien's which was 20 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, and then, you, you know, you've been to two Olympics um, uh, World Uni Games, you won gold twice there. Yeah. Um, what's been the standout of you know 
Yeah. The standout, it's, it, it's really hard to pick a standout. Breaking Ron Clark's Australian 10K record with Ron Clark there, mm. with Chloe there, with um, my mates Tim Armstrong and Robin Firth, who I'd shared a lot of running times with there, and my, my training partners Trent Harlow and a few few guys in the in the in in the race. That was that was really special. But you know, there was winning World Student Games was that was because that was my first Australian team was making World Student Games. So winning the track and the cross country for World Student Games was was special. Um, and in nine, the World Cups. So I got a bronze in '92 in the steeplechase in the World Cup, and a silver in the World Cup in '98 in the 5K, and they were both very special for 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 different reasons. In '92, I got controversially left out of the Olympic team, and you know there was so you you, you question yourself. You think, oh, I was starting to think I could compete internationally, and if the selectors don't think I can do that, well, mm. maybe I'm not good enough. But I, so it was actually proving to myself and proving to them that that I was to come out after the Olympics and, and take the bronze in the World Cup and beat guys who in the Olympic final. That yeah. was and then break the Australian record a few weeks later. That was really satisfying. And in ninety eight, um, I was I'd really set myself for the um for the World Cup. It was in Johannesburg, so at eighteen hundred metres altitude. So I put all my eggs in that basket and I trained for eight weeks at altitude to to try and get that result. So to finish Behind Daniel Coleman, who at the time was mm. the man, and beat Dieter Bauman, who was still one of the absolute best five yeah. k runners in the world, was was really satisfying. And because I guess, like you know, well, you broke the Australian ten k record in ninety six, ninety six, yeah, um, and like twenty seven thirty one. Like, where would have that ranked you in in the world that year? Eleventh. Yeah. yeah. And what about so the year you broke the steeple record? Where were you ranked? Eleventh. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky number. Yeah. So yeah, steeple, like, I think I think they were satisfied. Track and field news, which was always the uh, the bible of running, it, it does a top ten every year merit rankings mm-hmm. based on a mix of times, championship result, head to head, and track and field news ranked me tenth yeah. for the steeplechase in in ninety three. So that was probably yeah, it. It sounds a bit funny, but the, the recognition by your peers and people who actually know. Yeah. To to rank you to to rank your top ten in the world that was that was even though it wasn't a race yeah. that's a highlight of a of a good season yeah yeah um, all right well let's get to the uh, second coming of Sean Crichton <laughs> um, so when did you when would you say that you sort of hung up the spikes uh, yeah. professionally or yeah you know? um, there was no line in the sand of hanging them up yeah. uh, well there sort of was. Uh, but there was no race I did which I thought that's my last race. Yeah. Uh, which was I know a lot of people would uh, might have had uh, Ballarat Australia you know, over and out in, yeah. in Sydney, even though I kept racing, of course. Yeah. Uh, but I, I didn't. So in in so I ran the Com Games in two thousand and so two thousand and one I still ran I ran two eleven for a marathon. Two thousand and two I ran seven forty nine for three k and and made the Com Games marathon team. Um, and then 2003, um, I was going pretty well, and I thought I could make the, um, the marathon team for the 2004 Olympics. And my son William was born and about two, about three weeks before Chicago, and I, th- I think I hurt my back pulling, getting him out of the cot. 
practice. Um, I was doing my third rep of some four by a mile behind the track at the AIS on, on the dirt, and I was like, this is the best set of miles I've done in, in since 2000. This yeah. is going great. And all of a sudden, bang, my calf went. And I think it was just my, my back. Yeah. So I went to Chicago anyway, and I thought I'd go, had to run 2.12, so I thought I'd run five-minute miles as as far as I can. Yeah. And got 10 miles in basically 50-hour feeling good, and my calf went. And uh, so I had a small disc problem in my back, that took about six weeks to get better. By then, I was already a, I was, was working as a lawyer, and I had, and so it actually came time to um, whether I went and ran the trials for the five and ten for the two thousand and four Olympics. I was like, you know what, I'm not going to get the time, and I'll probably go to nationals and come third or fourth. Mm-hmm. But I'd won the last couple of nationals. I'm not going to um, not going to be one of these guys who's third this year, then five, fifth next year, and seventh yeah. the following year yeah. even though I've now come back as an old man but it's a break so it's a it's a uh, it's a very different thing so I so I think I just decided so I actually kept training for a little while and did a couple of road races and then basically I just stopped racing yeah. I didn't I always thought that I'd, I'd do another race but I didn't all right boys thanks for that Brad lead us into this interview what are they going to hear in part two yeah, so, um, yeah, part two is, I guess, getting more on to the second coming of Sean Crichton. So he's sort of come back into track races. Uh, also, a little bit about why we aren't producing, um, I guess, the depth of marathoners that we once had um, and a bit about his role as a national selector. So enjoy. Beautiful. We're all over the shop tonight, but hopefully the listeners get something out of that. Thanks again for your time, boys, and uh, we'll talk next week after Brad runs about 14.30 at Parkrun. Whatever. See you, boys. See See ya. I just stopped racing. I didn't. I always thought that I'd I'd do another race, but I didn't. Yeah. Well, I think I met you in sort of two thousand and six, two thousand and seven, something like that. And then I know I was doing some work for you mm. um, in a law firm around two thousand ten yeah. or nine, ten, and you weren't very fit was then fat. at all. Um, <laughs> and even up until a couple of years ago, was it? Two years ago, you were around 40 minutes for, for 10K? No, that was, that was about six years ago. Oh, six years ago, yeah. So it's been a slow train coming. So it was so about six years ago, um, I was... Uh, no, in fact, I was eight years ago. Because uh, uh, Gretchen, my daughter, is now eight. And it was a few weeks... It was a couple of months after she was born. And, um, and this was the line in the sand moment where I was... Each year, I was probably putting on about two kilos or so. And then... Um, and, and I was looking in the mirror and seeing the, uh, the the double chin, which I didn't like to uh, didn't like to see. And then um, uh, going for a run with with Stella, and she was pushing Gretchen in the pram, and she was back at the AIS, and she started Stella started pulling away from me, going up the hill, and I actually couldn't keep up. I was like, oh dear, have I regressed this much? So um, and, and at the time I was a weekend warrior. I'd go out for my Saturday run, and I'd run it hard with a plan to run Sunday, but I'd hurt myself Saturday, so I couldn't run Sunday, and then I'd be right again for the following Saturday. Anyway, so I challenged Stella to a 10K race in the Canberra Thomas Bun run that year, and knowing that she'd run about 40, 30, and so I'd, off eight weeks of training, uh, I ran flat to the boards 40.08. Yeah. Um, 
that then became an annual goal to try and improve on my Canberra Times time. Yeah. And I got down to about 35 minutes and and that's when I, that's when I decided to do six foot tracks. I was like, I can't get myself motivated to to do any more training than to get myself in 35 minute shape, yeah. or sort of 35 high. So I thought, okay, what's a goal that's really, an event that's really challenging that I'll have to train hard for, but I'm actually keen to do. And so six foot track was that. So I've done that the last three years. And I probably would have done it again next year, except uh, at the Canberra Times Fun Run this year, I actually ran well enough. I finished and I was like, oh, that was a headwind up Adelaide Avenue today. Oh, Strava measures it at 10.1. Oh, it's 33 high. That's probably worth 33 flat on the track, noting I'm a bit quicker on the track. I wonder what the Australian old man record is. And that's when I looked it up and it was 32.52 or 32.54. It's like, actually, I might skip the marathon. And um, so I was going to, do, um, going to do Melbourne. I might actually do a track season. Yeah. So that's... And that's... Um, and that's, that's when it, the... Uh, Seed was signed to have a crack at the Australian old man over 55 and 10k records. And about that time, um, Emily Brickachick and I started um, working together, so we, it actually worked out perfectly because yeah. we then just became training partners for each other. Yeah. I don't want to put the pressure on Emily ahead <laughs> of Zatopec next week, but um, she's ticking along nicely. Yeah, it's pretty inspiring to see you getting back out there because I, like I, you know, I'm sort of getting towards the end of my, I guess, serious running. Yeah. Not that I've ever, you know, gone close to times that you're running, but I've always thought to myself that as soon as I don't think I can run a PB anymore, yeah, I like I, I won't want to compete. Yeah. Um. Did you have you ever had that feeling? Absolutely. Because like, obviously, you know, you're a long uh, yeah. way behind PBs, but you know, uh, absolutely. I, I didn't want. To. I was, after years and years and years of competing, I got tired of doing the training, tired of watching what I eat and drink and and, and tired of, didn't want to do it anymore. And so that's where, I, I went years where I was running once a week and drink, drinking a lot of red wine and yeah. drinking a lot of beer and eating a lot of chocolate. Now I still drink a lot of red wine and drink a lot of beer and eat a lot of chocolate, but run again. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the change. I've just, I was saying to someone the other day, like, um, I've still, I'm still 10 kilos heavier than I used to race at. Yeah. And I'm sure I could run, I, I could probably run 30 seconds quicker out of 5K if I lost 10 kilos. Yeah. In fact, I probably almost certainly could. And that'd be... Which would be, which would be getting close to the world record. That'd be close to the world old mm. man record. Um, but I'm not prepared to do it. Yeah. Because it's, I've been that, I, I've done that, I've lived that life of discipline where I would have one alcoholic drink a week for yeah. six months of the year. Uh, at 50, I want to, I want to still want to live a normal life and if, if I want to have a glass of red wine or two and a, and a beer and a piece of chocolate while I'm uh, watching the footy or the cricket, I want to do that. And, uh, but, but I'm absolutely I'm thrilled at the decision to run a few track races, even though it might seem a bit silly, some old bastard coming back and doing a few races. It's 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 almost like the midlife crisis without getting the sports car. It, it, it's but it's the little things you, you 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 don't think about the the smell of the track, yeah. Yeah. putting getting getting this getting some new spikes and 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 getting the spike spanner out and, and putting your spikes in your shoes and then trying them on to make sure they they fit right and, and so, sore calves in the morning after it's races. Sore calves. <laughs> it's 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 absolutely. Yeah. 
It's absolutely fantastic. And I guess having, you know, come from a guy who's run over 200 kilometres a week yeah. to now trying to race, you know, competitively as a 50-year-old, mm. what adjustments have you had to make? And, and I guess what advice do you have for an older athlete yeah. to stay in one piece but still be able to, you know, run to the best of their ability? Yeah. I, I've, I've read that as you get older, you need to do cut your volume and do more speed work. That... Um, I've started doing speed work again over the last four months. I, before that, it was basically because I was training for six-foot track. Mm. I was going out and doing three to three-and-a-half-hour runs on a Sunday. Yeah. Um, up and, lots of hills. Up lots of hills. <laughs> and again, that got me just really, really fit. But I think the message is you don't recover quite as well. Yeah. Um, but in the last... It, and people might think, oh, this, I came out around 15.34 on Saturday night, which, you know, as a young guy, that's not seen the world on fire, but for a 50-year-old, that's mm. it's decent running. And people might think, oh, he ran 13.17 when he was, you know, in his 20s. He should be able to run 15.34, but no, it didn't happen overnight. My Strava all confirmed the last two years I've averaged 95Ks. That's a, that's a genuine average. Yep. So there's been plenty of plenty of running, but... The key thing is I've been sensible, not doing super sessions, yeah. just doing, if, if anything, being a bit more conservative. Um, and for the last six months, I've been doing two massages a week yeah. and a Pilates session a week. All right, I didn't know you were in your Pilates. Pilates yeah. once a week and, yeah. and, 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 and so treatment twice a week and Pilates mm. once a week. And that's, and that's just meant I've been injury free. Yeah. And I'd say looking at your Strava, the one constant, and I, I mentioned it in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, if you look back at your last year of Strava, yeah. I, I reckon you would have averaged 33, 34 kilometres every, every Sunday. Sunday. Yeah. I reckon that's, that's a constant yeah. with you. Like you place so much emphasis on that long run. It doesn't fact, need to be, not fast, but just long. In fact, on this last Sunday, so my calves are sore. It was probably one of the few Sundays in the last 12 months where I didn't run more than 30k. Mm, yeah. Um, so can you do a bit more, I guess, you know, you've been in the sport for so long now. What what changes have you seen in the sport? Have you seen a lot of change? Oh, yes. Yeah. I think um, I've seen, and I don't want to poo-poo, Modern training methodologies, because mm. then all of a sudden you sound like some. So my next, my next question. I think <laughs> you, you sound like some grumpy old yeah. man, and I'm not saying what's what we used to do was right, and what's what people are doing now is wrong. But I sometimes see people doing, um, you know, really fast long runs, for example, and and, and, and training. No, 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 no. <laughs> I wasn't wasn't thinking no, no, so yeah. much of you, but it's across the board. Yeah, it's yeah. not just in Australia. It's it's around the world, yeah. and people are saying you have to do that because if if Kipchoge is running two o three, you can't run two o three if you're running around your long runs at four to four minute ten per k. Yeah. you got to be able to run them quicker. Yeah. And I say you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. If you want to run 203, you need to be able to go out and you need to be able to do a 30k run where the last 10k, you kick it down and run it in 30k. Yeah. But before you run 203, show me your 213. Yeah. 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 
Too many guys are trying to run 203 before they run 213. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess, it's like, in, in relation to that, there's obviously been a, a real change now of marathoners doing marathon-specific sessions. And yeah. As, as the, the phys ed teacher in you about specificity. Yeah. So... Um, and, and, and I and, and that's that's the art and the science and and and, and the lot and this is the old if you're going to run three minute k's for a three k you got to be able to do reps in two fifty yeah you can't have had a quickest rep of three hundred four and go and run quicker than that on average for your three k's yeah it doesn't make sense yeah. Yeah. but you can do it yeah and it's and it's the logic absolutely tells you. It absolutely tells you. My, my marathon PB, you know, 2.10, works out at 3.08 per K. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't have done gone out and run. At no, not one of my long runs at any stage would I have run 3.08. Yeah, and, and what, maybe 16K would have been the longest that you would have sustained 3.08, other than maybe racing at half? Like... Absolute longest. Yeah. Ab- no, it would have been once a month. Yeah. Um, logic tells you it needs to do that. You need to do that. Yeah. But empirical evidence tells you you don't. Yeah. Deke didn't do it. Mona didn't do it. Troopy didn't do it. PC didn't do it. Yeah. I didn't do it. So this is this is the amazing thing. I've always, <laughs> you know, whether I've sat down with Mona or whatever, and it's like, how does doing hard 20-minute sessions, which mm. is, you know, typically what you guys would do, yep. um, and... Two hours thirty or three hours, but way slower than marathon pace. Yeah. How does that somehow bring to be able to run, you know, three hundred eight for forty two k, like compared to what they're doing now, where you know you'll you'll do five by five k with a k float, which at, like but each five k is yeah. at marathon pace. It's I know what you're yeah, saying. It's, it's I can't explain it. Um, but, okay, well, but, but, but I think I think I think part of it is running's a weight bearing activity. Yeah. And it's it's physically demanding, and I think you can probably get away with doing a session like five by five k if you then jog for three days. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even jog for five days. It comes back to the if you're going to super compensate, yeah, yeah. you need to recover. Yeah. The, the the Moroccans and the South Africans don't do the two and a half hour. There, I mean, some of them do, of course. Mm-hmm. Their system is. You go out and you run a hard ninety minutes or a hard two hours, yeah. but they jog for five days afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. So it's there's there's absolutely not one way to skin the cat. Yeah. But you got to but you got to recover. Yeah. And and and, and the, the, one of my favourite running quotes is and, and it's most relevant to to the marathon. Yeah. And it's from Bill Squires, who I'm pretty sure coached Salazar. He coached a hell of a lot of the um, top US. Bill, I think he coached Bill. We should look up and see who he coached. I reckon he coached Salazar and Bill Rogers, who were, who were the greats of the 80s, of course. Yeah. And the quote is, it's the long run that puts the tiger into the cat. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. And it's not the fast long run. It's the long run. Yeah, yeah. And do you think that maybe doing those longer marathon-specific sessions... There's just too much risk involved, and you maybe have raced your race before you get there. I think so. Yeah, I think so. Um, and um, I'm no. I mean, I've got a sports science degree. But it's a long time since I've read all the textbooks, but maybe you get the mitochondrial adaptations and the capillarization and that sort yeah. of thing that's in, in the glycogen 
storing effects mm. just as well from a long easy run as you do from a long fast run. Yeah. So the long fa- in the long fast run, yeah, it might get you a bit fitter, but in the long term it doesn't. Mm. It might get you in the short, and I guess it's the short game versus the long game. Yeah. The the training that Deke and Monner and people like and, and myself, we didn't miss. We didn't miss more than a week at a time injured. Yeah. I, I guess the... So where I find the benefit, like I've done a few sessions of... I've never done 5 by 5 k but I've done, you know, 5 by 4 k with a K-flow. I think the benefit I get coming from the shorter stuff with that is more just that mental of just just locking into marathon pace for yeah. a long period of time, which you don't yeah. get when you're out for three hours jogging, no, you and don't. you don't get you know when you're running hard for twenty minutes. So it's more of that mental mental side that I yeah. feel that I get benefit from. But yeah. um, I just find it amazing that yeah, guys have been able to. And my next question is, why aren't we producing marathoners? That, or what? What yeah, you mentioned it before, you know, Merv, was it Merv? Who's around two hours fifteen? Oh yeah, Merv. Yeah. But there's just so many guys. Like I worked with a, a guy swimming Australia, Colin Neve. Yeah. Who ran two sixteen in Canberra, yeah. and you know, nobody's ever heard of him. No. But so, what do you th- what do you think it is? What? And, and I had this chat occasionally on social media with some of my mates in other countries, Johnny Downs in Ireland, Mark Coogan in in the US. Um, so some of the mates, and we've all got the same view. Uh, There's actually a guy who I saw on social media is actually doing an experiment to so realise there was a guy in his club who ran 2.15 back in the 80s and was just sort of a good club runner and is now realising he'd actually be one of the best in the UK now. Uh, and this guy's doing an experiment. He's going to go back and do this guy's, follow this guy's old school training. The old school training, we had... There's always... There's a group, there'd be always a group in Melbourne, there'd be a group in Ballarat, there'd be a group in Canberra, there'd be a group in Sydney, there'd be a couple of other smaller groups. There'd be five or six of us all doing 200Ks a week. Mm. Every week. Week in, week out. And, and you'd be just getting better. There's not enough groups doing 200Ks a week. So you think 200's the, so 200's the minimum to be able to run... Oh, I don't think it's a minimum. You know, Steve Jones ran yeah. 207 and broke the world record running 140Ks a week. Yeah. And, and running quicker. There's, there's not... Yeah. There's no... There's no one size fits all. Yeah. The Australian way has traditionally been run 200Ks a week and do it every week. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. Um, I don't know if you, you know, Dave Crenitti, but he ran two seventeen in Berlin. And, yeah, great run. Um, yeah, he's he's constantly logging like two forty, two fifty k. Like a lot of it's yeah. a lot of it's slow, but yeah. I guess there's merit in it. And his his speed seems to actually be improving as a result. Um, well, I'd, I'd like to say something about the speed of marathon. Every, you, you hear people say, long slow running produces yeah. slow runners. It's absolute rubbish. Yeah. Well, I, I mentioned in a podcast, so before Berlin, before I got injured, yeah. I've, I've been doing Montefartlek for 15 years. Yeah. I ran a Montefartlek PB when I was actually training for, for Berlin. <laughs> My 2731 10K, I actually wasn't, which was run at Zadapec in 96, I wasn't running Zadapec that year. Mm. I was training for the Houston Marathon a few weeks later, and I got about five weeks out from the marathon, which was getting close to... To um, to um, 
Zadapek, well, in fact, I went up to Noosa to do the 5K, thinking I, I'm going to get absolutely smoked. I've been doing 220Ks a week and no speed work whatsoever. I'm going to get absolutely smashed and 13.47 to win. It's like, God, the last couple of times I've done Noosa Bolt, what I run at Noosa, I go through that. I can I can run that the first half of the um, 5K at Zadapek. Mm. Went through 5K at Zadapek, 13.41. And purely, I was just so aerobically strong, yeah. and um, and that's probably what was missing from my ten k training before was um, two hundred and twenty k's a week if I could handle it suited me. Uh, most of it being long slow running yeah. suited me better than one hundred and eighty k's a week. Yeah, like obviously, like the way that you train yourself, like you've got so much knowledge when it comes to running. Um, but I guess with with family life and and um, your work, you haven't I guess coached a lot. No. Um, is it something that you would like to do down the track? You, you mentioned yeah. you're now coaching Emily. Yeah, uh, I absolutely love coaching. And you know, in when I was in Ballarat, uh, final year of Unix, I did a coaching major. We had to um, we had to do some some coaching, and I, I went to so. St Pat's in Ballarat, which is where Mona went, was the powerhouse of distance running in, in Ballarat and it had you know, guys like S Steve McMahon and Chris Howley and some, some really good young guys at the time. I went in, to um, Ballarat and Clarendon College who had no distance running history uh, and tradition and said, oh, anyone want to join a distance running program? So we've got a bunch of guys um, who basically done no running by the end of that season, we had we had a couple of Vic Champs medalists and an Australian Champs medalist, yeah. and we beat St Pat's for the first time in donkey's years. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely love that, and and you know, and I took the uh, the the luckily enough to have the the coach national coaching coordinator job at Athletics Australia for a year, and um, the the bright lights of law sort of drew me mm -hmm. back because. If, if put it this way, if we were in America and there was fifty coaching full time coaching jobs available, I'd probably still be coaching. But when there's one, yeah, yeah and you've got other options, it's not a great, it's not a long term career move. Um, Did you mention to me at one point when you were over in the US that you, um, when you had had the option of maybe taking up the um, with the Bowman? Oh, that that was coaching uh, position. No, that was that was post then that I was expressed an interest with them, oh, had, okay. had, yeah. had a chat to them. Um, but I, I absolutely love coaching. Mm -hmm. um, would I do more of it? I think probably if we fast forward 10 years, I think the answer will be yes. Yeah, right. Uh, right now, the answer is, is uh, very limited because I just don't have time. But... Um, Works out perfectly with Emily because I don't I don't have time because I don't have time to uh, if I want to go if I want to go to work have family time and go for a run myself I don't have time to coach on top of that yeah. works out perfectly with Emily at the moment because my running time the the, the running I'm doing and the pace and the type of training yeah. is is exactly what I would be prescribing for her so we can do it together yeah. so kill two birds with one stone so it's perfect. Yeah. And you you advise you were advising me when I ran my ten k pb first time I got under thirty oh, that's minutes. Good. <laughs> um, but also like even though you're not like well you are coaching now but 
um, I heard a podcast that you've obviously influenced, like Adam Adam Didick, and uh, the way that, yeah. you know he's now one of Australia's sort of top coaches. So yeah. you've obviously had it. You still had an influence. Yeah, um, yeah. Even though you're not actively involved. Yeah, I'm, and I guess I'm available to mm. to anyone, Adam, and anyone else to to shoot the breeze at any time. You know, I, I absolutely love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, on a side note, so a lot of people won't realise or don't realise that you're a, a national selector as well. And, yeah. Um, I guess it'd be interesting and in, like I've never really spoken too much about it, but what's the process in terms of how many selectors are there? Do yeah. the discussions get quite heated? Yeah. Um, and what happens if, you know, people disagree? Like how do they actually come to a decision? Yeah. Uh, so the, it's a good question and I, I feel very passionate about selecting you know 92 mm. i can that'll still get me fired up and get my blood pressure up if i talk about um, having been named in the team and then dropped at the last minute and uh, yeah despite at the time being national champion having the qualifying time being young being the world student games mm. defending champion still not getting getting picked it still pisses me off all these 25 years later mm. So I, I know how important it is to people and I've run some appeals for you know, Scotty Westcott and Andrew Leatherby and, and, uh, and, and some javelin throwers and, and, uh, before becoming a selector. So I, I am um, acutely aware how, how important the role is. So the three selectors are, are Dion Russell, who's the, who's the chairman of selectors, who's a terrific guy and really well organised and really gets all the stats Altogether, uh, Melinda Gainsford, who is, uh, we're all across all the events, but Melinda's obviously really across the, the sprints and, and myself. So um, Mono was selected before I was, so it's actually good to have that mm. continuity of, of a distance runner um, as a selector. They used to actually have winter and summer selectors, so they, all right. So back in the old days you used to have a different selection committee for track and cross-country yep. relative to... Uh, and roads, whereas we pick every, we pick all the teams, juniors, seniors, cross country, um, the whole kit and caboodle. Um, do we do we ever disagree? Yes, we do. Uh, does it get heated? No. We have we have good rational debates. Yeah. Um, there's mutual respect between the three of us. Um, there was I won't go into what event it was, um, but as recently as last year, we had one selection which came up and I said to Dion and Mel, my view is we should go this way, but it's an absolute borderline, and for these reasons, it's an absolute borderline selection, and they said, oh, our view is it should go this way, it is an absolute borderline, and I said, no, that's fine, I, I, I agree with, if, if your view, and if it's two to one, yeah. it's two to one. Yeah. So generally, get, if there's a disagreement, it just comes down to the fact that two will go this way, one will go that way. Or... But we'll, we'll, we'll listen to each other. Yeah. And, and there have been times where we were leaning one way mm. and one person has a, has a really good point and able to put a good argument and the other two will go, I actually hadn't thought of it that way. Mm. Uh, but this, bearing in mind, and I think this is what a lot of people forget, we only discuss the borderline selections. Yeah. The ones, if we don't discuss Sally Pearson. Yeah, so if you, yeah, because there's obviously the selection yeah. criteria that if you run an A and you win nationals, you automatically, you can't take that off. So that picks next Thursday night. If, 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 if someone wins, whoever wins the Zatapik, if they've got a B, they'll, they'll go. Yeah. If they come second and they've got an A, they'll go. We, we don't even 
it's not even a discussion. Yeah. It's ticked the box. What will then become a discussion is in February, if there are two spots and there's one left and there are three qualifiers. The the discussion I'm not not looking I am I'm looking forward to it from a from a, a an academic point of view, but I'm not looking forward to it because there's going to be some some real disappointment. But it's exciting to be in this position that we have to have uh, make the tough decision. The women's marathon team for the Commonwealth Games, I mean, this is the best depth mm. we've ever had. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd be going out on a limb to say that Lisa Jane Waitman and Jess Trengrove are safe. Yeah. That third spot, you've got some really really strong contenders yeah. contenders for that that third spot and people are going to be disappointed yeah no, I completely agree uh, you know, do we go just on time maybe do we mm. do we go based on championship history or and head to head well head to head it's not like a track where you can have um, people mightn't have raced as much so yeah. there, there's, a, there's a whole lot of elements which need to come into consideration but it's great with the marathon at the moment even the guys the fact that this like not not that 219 will yeah. generally get you into a team but it's certainly getting more guys probably around my level yeah. that go, you know what, there's no way that I'm going to run 28 low for a 10K or yeah. 13, 20 odd for a 5. But you know what, 219 is, is, is achievable and yeah, exactly. I, won't make, I won't make the team off that, but I could say that I've at least made the Commonwealth Games qualifier or whatever. Exactly. So it's good, it's good for the sport. Oh, I couldn't agree more. No. And I think, back to the selectors, so Dion, Mel and I are all inclusive by selectors by mm. nature yeah. so however we can be as inclusive as we like if the board of athletics australia who who endorse the selection criteria pick make a restrictive criteria or well, you just can't you've got to follow the criteria and you can't pick it so yeah. i think we're at a nice time at the moment where the board is keen on picking people and the selectors are keen on mm. picking people yeah. The challenge, which I only just read today, is apparently there is a quota set by the Commonwealth Games Federation on how many people there can be unless they go back, cap in hand, for ask for more spots okay. uh, in track and field for Gold Coast. Yeah. Now, that's going to be a challenge. I, th- I didn't read it quickly, but I think the number was 76. 76 for a home Commonwealth Games isn't a lot. No. So that actually may come down to... Um, and that's that's how I got cut in um, in in '92. We there was forty, I think, from memory, there was forty-two in the team, and they said you're going to have thirty-seven, mm-hmm. so you could get rid of five or seven or however many it was. If we put forward ninety names and we then have to trim it trim it back to seventy-six, that's when it's tough because you're then saying making assessments between events. Then do you say okay, well, particularly for the Commonwealth Games. You might have a, a field event where someone's ranked fourth in the Commonwealth but 200th in the world mm. versus a track event against the Kenyans or the Jamaicans where you might be ranked sixth in the Commonwealth and 100th in the world. Mm. Who do you pick? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll cross those bridges. Um, we're about to wrap up. I guess um, you know, you've had an incredible career and you know, it's like great Ron Clark's Australian record, and um, I guess a lot of people as well won't realise that um, you're the main reason that Craig Mottram got his first Olympic berth in, in Sydney by giving up one of your 
one of your runs in the in the 5k yeah um, just goes to show the, the type of guy you are all right. a good guy thanks croaks and i was i was actually saying to someone the other day that my 5k on saturday night was my first 5k on the track since the olympic trials in 2000 and so the logical conclusion for that would be oh you didn't make the olympic team at 5k but the answer was well i did yeah but uh, gave my spot to Motram. yeah which is not, there's not a lot of people out there that would, would do that, so um, credit to you. But um, all the best, I believe we're going off to Steigen 10k to try and crack the Aussie 10k record. So what's Aussie old man 10k yeah, record? Aussie, yeah, okay. I'd love to have it. I saw Benny Sain on the weekend. I'd love to say Benny Saint, your 27:24 is going down. But <laughs> so what, um, what time do we have to beat there? Uh, it's it's 32:50 something. I think it's 32:54. All right. So I think. Um, my old rule of thumb was double your 5k and out a minute, mm. which gives me plenty of leeway, but it's um, it's it's easier said than done. So I'll I'll be trying to run 20, 32, 30, yep. 32, 20, yeah, which would be well under the record, but um, uh, I'll be just looking forward to getting out and uh, enjoying my first 10k on the track since maybe, I'm just trying to think when it was, 2002 probably. And then are we looking to use that track speed to maybe go the marathon next year? Yeah, I think so. Yep. I think what's so. the time for that? Uh, the Australian over 50 marathon record, and I do know that because I was looking that up this sort of this time last year, it's 2.30.51. Um, and when I was planning on running Melbourne Marathon back in October, a few people said, oh, do you think you can get the Aussie over 50 record? I said, actually, no. I reckon I'm in 2.30, this is back in... July, August, so I reckon I'm in 2.33 shape, uh, and that's realistic, and going out at 2.30 pace, I reckon I'd blow up, and part of that is to run 2.30, you've got to be able to run 32.5 for 10k, so now that I can, I'm back notionally in 32.30 10k shape, it means I probably should be able to off, um, and I haven't really dropped my volume off, yeah. I should be able to run 2.30, but that's a uh, as we know, the marathon's a uh, yeah. funny event and easier said than done, but no, I, I, I'm keen to have a crack at a, at a marathon next year and, and would probably have a crack at running 2.30. Yeah. Oh, we are, yeah, we'll keep an eye on you and thanks for your time tonight. I, I could chat running with you all day, <laughs> that's for sure. And, um, Brady and, and Julian will both be down at Steigen, so you'll be on the start line with them. So I'll um, be on the start line and they'll probably, I reckon they'll, They'll probably be about a lap ahead, maybe a lap and a half. But anyway, I'll, I'll try and stay within a lap of them. Yeah, all right. Well, uh, thanks, for your, thanks for your time tonight. All right, thanks, Craig. No, all the best. Great, thanks.
Oh, oh, oh.